Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. Welcome into the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. So glad you guys tuned in where we're always talking everything college hoops, a little NBA draft, especially this evening and later on this week. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up. Thanks to Bell Jar for bringing us in and out with our intro music. And thank you to you guys out there. Thank you to the audience. Thank you to the loyal listeners during the off-season. Carving out some time. Could have been anywhere else in the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus, and we appreciate that. Uh, Well, listeners, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in during the off-season. Just like we mentioned in the preview, love that people are kind of getting their college basketball fix with the Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast. Thanks for sharing some time with us. We hope that we help on a commute, hope that we help on some weekend chores, or we hope that we help uh, get you through your day, whether it be at lunch or you're plugging us in at work while you're working on a project. We're good with that. Thanks for letting us share the day with you. Time well spent with good company. That's the way we like to think about it in the Screen to Screener College Basketball family. A little NBA draft. I'm going to give you the bottom half of my first round mock draft, if you want to call it that, or just ideas of where I think uh, teams might go with certain players. And then we're going to talk about a couple of things uh, off the bat that I thought were kind of interesting that have to do with like NBA draft, but also some of the players that we followed during this past season. Paid a bunch of attention to, invested energy in, definitely followed and rooted for or rooted against along the line. I I think the first thing we'll pay attention to, especially with this NBA draft, and this goes more to the international players, and we don't like to get political on the Screener Screener College Basketball Podcast, but like, do the new immigration limitations play a role for these players getting working visas to come over to the United States to earn a living? Like, does somebody like Luka Doncic or uh, Eli Okobo like have to jump through similar hoops? I, I, I'm intrigued to see if if that's a, a further delay or hiccup for their path to the NBA. I don't know. Do things get kind of glossed over and they just kind of like sign some papers and everything's good to go and their front office takes care of that. So I think that's a thing to pay attention to for the foreign-born players, especially if they don't get drafted by uh, the Toronto Raptors. Also another thing, you know, check out Puma. You know, we retweeted a, a tweet from uh, one of our one of our favorite and first guests, Hoops Weiss, where he mentioned that Puma is back in the hoops game, people. Puma signed Jay-Z to be the head of their basketball, sneaker, and athletic apparel operations. Great sign. Unbelievable name. Like, what other high-profile name do you want besides uh, Hove? That, that, that sounds perfect. And then they signed Marvin Bagley. They signed Aiton. DeAndre Ayton, and they signed Zaire Smith. Now, this is interesting on a couple fronts because Ayton was one of the players that, rightly or wrongly, got mixed up in a couple of allegations, quote-unquote payments, again, alleged, uh, to head to Arizona by a certain sneaker company. Also, there have been rumors, alleged rumors, quote-unquote, that Marvin Bagley's a U team, summer league team, was well-funded by a certain sneaker company. And then he ended up at that sneaker company school at Duke. And both of those players signed with a different sneaker company than I guess that they were linked to on the AAU circuit or the summer league circuit, which I find interesting. Maybe it gives some 
further evidence or maybe lets us allows us to I don't know, dig a little deeper on this FBI, FBI fog and, 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 and some of the rules that were broken and people have gone to jail for uh, early in the season that I guess brought attention to our sport. So I just think that's interesting. And, and also, how about a guy that's like uh, Zaire Smith, not even any, on anybody's radar at the beginning of the college basketball season? Not only is he projected to be a first-round pick, which we'll get to in a few minutes here, but he he's got a deal. He's got an appear. He's got an apparel deal. He's got a sneaker deal. Totally cool when somebody like Z- Zaire Smith blows up uh, during his freshman season and pulls like the uh, you know the Patton move from uh, Creighton, where he just kind of blew up and then he becomes a you know a top twenty pick. And, and you know maybe Zaire Smith is going to be a top twenty pick, but he'll be somewhere within the first round and does well at the combine and then boom his life has changed and he has to make a whole bunch of decisions and he's out after one year at texas tech and then if we're just going to take a look at the uh first round i I guess the nba draft in general on thursday i I think one of the things we might want to pay attention to a couple trades uh i think trades are going to be interesting because i think some of the teams at the top of the draft if they were going to trade one of these draft picks like three four five six seven one one of those you know maybe maybe even two they might want to attach like an one of these awful contracts and of course the perfect example is like the the grizz with parsons do they you know throw the four pick and parsons at somebody and then trade down a pick or two i I don't know but that's something to pay attention to uh the 76ers i think are game for uh trading they have six picks in this particular draft but their front office is an absolute mess after the uh uh, Colangelo Twitter debacle, and they're a little bit in flux, so maybe they just hold on to those six picks and just make six solid picks. Of course, a couple of guys overseas, a couple uh, draft and stash guys. The Hawks have uh, three in the first round, and they also have four in the top 33, so I think they're an intriguing team to pay attention to. Maybe if a player they really like shows up at 13, 14, 15, do they then package a couple of those picks to move up to get that player they really like to complement the player that they're going to take at three? I think the Hawks are an interesting mover or shaker on draft day as well. And I think the Suns are another team to pay attention to. Obviously, they're going to hold on to that first pick. Well, you know, we'll open the bag a little bit here and, and lift the curtain. We think that they're going to take Aiton. Uh, you saw on the screen of screener college basketball uh, mock draft on Randall Rant. Uh, Mike's excellent site and hit that up for a couple of other things. We have Mike put up our our mock draft and a couple of uh, topics uh, of what we think is going to happen in the first round. Mike also has some fantasy football stuff up there. We have some uh, old stuff from the season in the short corner and that's where you can access all the podcasts as well. So please hit up RandallRant.com and don't be afraid to give Mike a follow on Twitter. He posted something unbelievable about Terrell Owens and why he might not be showing up to his Hall Hall of Fame uh, ceremony uh, later on this summer. I, I thought it was really interesting. Please give him a follow at Randall Rant. Uh, he's insightful, educational, and entertaining on all fronts. And if you like what you're listening to here, you know, give the podcast a follow at SDS Podcast. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course, where we're trying to keep up and not, you know, overwhelm you with uh, college basketball minutia stuff during the offseason. But we're trying to keep you up to date with the uh, NBA draft and, and and let you know what we're thinking. And I think the last thing before we get into, you know, the bottom part of the mock draft is uh, if you're really into the the draft, Mike and I. We, we, I think we told part of the story, our, you know, the initial part of our relationship uh, began around the NBA draft where we loved college basketball, we loved the NBA game, we got together for the NBA draft, coincided with the end of school, luckily, so, you know, whether it be the end of middle school, the end of high school, even the end of college, a- after May session, after we were done competing, uh, we would come back to home base and we'd always get together for the 
the, the NBA draft. So we, 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 we've been locked into this thing for literally years upon years. And, and this, uh, we're so happy that we're able to share it with you guys, our passion about it, and, and share some knowledge about it. So thank you for sharing the journey with us. It's, it's really cool that we've invited more people like into, like, I don't know, Mike's little living room where we used to watch the, uh, where we used to watch the NBA draft. Very cool. Welcome into welcome into the living room. Grab a seat on the couch. Make yourself comfortable, please. But please, if you're if you're looking for a couple of more things, please hit up the YouTube channel. Mike and I've been working hard to give you guys some player profiles on some of the players that you've paid attention to all season in the college game, and we'll then hear their names called, hopefully in the first round or second round uh, this Thursday. So if you're looking for uh, some further deeper dives, Mike and I worked really hard. We we really enjoyed putting these together for you. So hit up the YouTube channel, subscribe, comment. You know, watch, share, whatever you want to do. Thanks for participating that way as well. Uh, without further ado, let's let's start to pick thirty. I'm gonna go pick thirty and just go up, and then you know, I feel like we've gone too long, or I've talked too much about the NBA draft. We're gonna call it quits, and then we'll hit you back up with the lottery picks, and maybe even uh, if we can get our acts together, give you guys a a second round pick, which I really liked doing last year. That was really fun. Uh, so let's start with pick 30, and I think we're just going to go with the, the forward from Bosnia. I think we're just going to go with uh, Dezana Musa, K.K. Sevilla, 6'9". He's almost 200 pounds. He's like another overseas wing that has gotten a, some good buzz. He, you know, Some people have him up in the teens. Some people have him down in the second round. I'm going to give him to the Hawks here at 30 because the Hawks do have, like we mentioned, those four picks inside the top 33 and I think one of those four picks is going to be a possible draft and stash situation and I can totally see that with Musa here and the Hawks and the Hawks like with with I don't know it's pretty tricky up front with them at three like they could end up with Luca so if I, I don't know if they go Luca at three then maybe this pick changes but the way that we have our draft lined up uh, we're going to give them Musa at three uh, just a, a quick scouting report on all these guys which is Kind of the fun part that Mike and I have loved putting together for you guys. Uh, 6'9 wing can shoot a little bit. Pretty crafty in space. His jump shot is a little bit of a push slash set shot. But he can catch and shoot, which is you know very typical of all uh, Euros that are going to come from overseas. Our concern here is uh, can he shoot it with the same ease and comfort with like NBA bodies around him. Croatian League and the NBA and international settings are, are, are completely different landscapes. So if somebody like Chris Middleton... Or Thaddeus Young is chasing him around. Is he really going to be able to get off that shot with the same comfort and ease that he did in the Croatian league? I don't know. That's you know to be determined. That's I think that's for that's why NBA GMs get paid a lot of money to figure that stuff out. We do think that he can play NBA rotational minutes, but I think the question is, can he shoot it well enough to? stay and warrant more minutes in the NBA rotation. He is pretty crafty with his dribble. You know, he is long enough, but he doesn't play that long. He doesn't play like 6'9". He plays more of like a 6'7 or a 6'6". But we bet that he discovers like uh, Amano did for the Spurs. Like he creates those creases and angles with with that Euro flavor shot creation. I I bet that happens with Musa, so I can see that happening. Um, And I think he can go anywhere within, you know, pick 30 all the way down to pick 39 because that's where the 76ers have two picks in 38 and 39. So I can really see him going in this range at the end of the first round and somewhere uh, in the second round. But we're going to give him to the Hawks at 30. They take Musa, the the forward from Bosnia. At 29, we're going to give the Nets Zaire Smith. Zaire Smith has gotten a ton of buzz. Uh, Again, we mentioned him in in the rundown in the preview. 
that he signed his uh, apparel deal with Puma, a link with Jay-Z. You know, he's going to start to bring that, you know. Again, just one last thing with Puma. And we didn't mention this on, on the uh, in the intro. But if they're cool enough for Clyde, if they're cool enough for Clyde Frazier, they're cool enough for Bagley. Cool enough for Aiden. They're cool enough for Zaire. I mean, that guy is an, literally a fashion icon, and that's the sneaker that he wore when he won his NBA championship with the Knicks. That that I mean that that is that that's all you need to know there. So if it's cool enough for Clyde, it's cool enough for Zaire and the rest of these guys. But back to Zaire, he measured a little, a slightly smaller than we thought that he was at Texas Tech, like 6'2", 6'3", about 6'9"-ish wingspan, a total athletic freak in the absolute best way, can jump out of the gym, had one of the highest uh, verticals at the combine, showed that he can shoot it a little bit, especially when Keenan Evans was hurt. When Keenan Evans was hurt uh, for that four-game stretch with his toe and then came back and played tough as nails for Texas Tech and dragged them to an Elite Eight and lost to uh, Villanova in the Elite Eight. Uh, Smith actually averaged 16 points, and he played 35-plus minutes a game. Uh, he, he's, he's tough. He buys into the system. He's super active on the offensive boards. He's not afraid to guard players that are bigger than him. He's a willing passer. He doesn't commit careless turnovers. He plays within the offense. He doesn't try to do too much, which I think NBA scouts will really like. Total elite first step. You know, we talked about his verticality. He, he's out of control that and on that regard. NBA scouts and NBA GMs wanted him to be 6'5", and he came out at 6'3", or 6'2", 6'3". If he was 6'5", or 6'6", you know, we might be talking about him in the lottery. I mean, somebody might even take a chance on him up there, but I, I think due to his measurables that were not where they wanted to be expected and not where they were broad and where they were put out by Texas Tech at 6'5", I think the Nets grab him because the Nets just need athletes. And I think if the Nets get him down here, I think it's kind of a steal. So let's give, Zaire, uh, let's give the Nets Zaire Smith from Texas Tech. At 28, we got the Warriors. And you know what the Warriors are going to do? They're going to do what they do every year. They're going to draft a player that's going to have an impact on their season, whether it be in season or in the playoffs, like they've done the last couple of years in the draft really late. It's no surprise that Jerry West is kind of running the things there and has influence in the draft room. And every one of these picks he's made or had influence on since he's, since he's come on board on the Warriors front office staff, that they've nailed each one of these. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to do it again. And you know who they're going to do it with? They're going to do it with Melvin Frazier from Tulane. Melvin Frazier is going to be one of those players where you're like, who? What? Are you talking, really? Tulane? Yeah. Melvin Frazier. Yeah. Tulane. He's going to go in the first round somewhere, and he's going to go to the Warriors, I think, at 28, if he doesn't go earlier. Frazier did a great job at Tulane, even though they didn't have a winning record. He averaged almost 16 points, uh, five and a half boards, almost three assists. He shot over 55% from the field. You may think, like, what, what is the appeal here? All Frazier has is, like, an NBA-ready body. He's like 6'6", has an over 7-foot wingspan, and he has huge hands. If we're going to find a Kawhi Leonard-like model or type in this draft, it just might be Melvin Frazier. His hands measure as big as Kawhi's did. His wingspan is through the roof. His athletic ability, maybe it's not Zaire Smith, like top level, but I tell you what, it's just like a whisper below. He's really, really athletic, and he can probably score the ball a little bit better than Zaire can. And his length speaks to how uh, how diverse he can be on the defensive end. He can probably guard one through four due to his strength. And you know what? 
he saw he saw a huge jump this past year in his three point percentage. He shot twenty six percent during his sophomore year, and he jumped to thirty nine percent this past year. So Melvin Frazier, Tulane, number twenty eight to the Warriors for a number of reasons. And you know what? The Warriors get all of these late picks right, and guess what? They're going to do again. They're going to get it right again because Melvin Frazier can ball a little bit on the offensive end, and he showed that he can guard. Uh, NBA-ready bodies like uh, Landry Shamet, uh, Jalen Adams, UConn, Rob Gray, Houston, uh, Shake Milton, uh, Quentin Rose from Temple. Like he held his own with all of those guys. He wasn't afraid to play any of those guys, and really went uh, mano imano with him. So Melvin Frazier, uh, 20, uh, 28 to the Warriors. Let's move up to the Celtics at 27. The Celtics, this is like one of the few drafts in the next couple of years where they're not loaded with draft picks. The Celtics at 27 are, you know what they're going to do? They're just going to go hometown. They're going to keep it local. They're going to go grassroots. They're going to go down to the food truck, the local food truck. You know what they're going to do? They're going to draft Jerome Robinson from Boston College. Jerome Robinson, 6'4", ish, uh, 6'7", ish wingspan, about uh, 190, 200 pounds. Yeah. There's going to be a Boston College Eagle selected in the first round, and it's going to be by his hometown Celtics, and everybody is going to celebrate up in Beantown. I'm looking forward to this draft pick actually happening. I can't wait to see it. Uh, Robinson was one of the best players in the ACC this year. He even stole some player of the year votes from Morgan Bagley in the ACC. He's the only player, uh, maybe a UVA guy stole a couple of players, maybe Hall or Guy. Jerome Robinson played that well. Uh, some of the highlights, he put up 46 against Notre Dame. He put up uh, 30, uh, I think it was 29 against UVA, at UVA. And if you're going to put up 29 against UVA and then score like, you know, literally 60% of your t- team's total points, like you're doing something right. He's diverse. He brings a winning culture. He's selfless. I mean, he was part of that 0-18 year at Boston College two or three years back. Did he decide to transfer? No. You know what he did? He got in the gym, got better, and helped his team improve, and helped his team win, and helped his team get to the get get, get to the postseason this past year. Robinson ha- can, is like a combo-y type guard. Can he handle a little bit? Sure. Can he shoot it a little bit? Yep. He shot it 41% from three. His turnover numbers actually took a dip this past season, even though he had a much higher usage. I think the biggest question with Robinson is his defensive acuity, or maybe lack thereof. Can he guard anybody? Can he guard on the perimeter? Can he guard on switches? I think that's the biggest question with him. We show He showed a definite big game IQ. Just his commitment to a winning culture. I think NBA teams are going to be in on that, and that sounds exactly the type of player that the Celtics want. Just look at the profile player that they've drafted the past couple of years, whether it be uh, Smart or Brown or, or um, Tatum. Like, like that type of player, I think Robinson fits that profile. So we're going to give Robinson, uh, we're going to give Celtics, the Celtics, Robinson, uh, Jerome Robinson from Boston College at 27. 26, this is the 76ers' second pick in the first round. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to pick Kevin Herter. They're going to select Herter from uh, Maryland, the 6'6 uh, swingman, uh, shooting guard, small forward, wherever you want to place him. Uh, he's got a 6'7-ish wingspan. And he's just flat out one of the best shooters in, in the draft that you're going to see. Maybe he's on par with um, Kevin Hervey. Maybe he's on par with Landry Shamit. Maybe he's on par with Aaron Holiday. And maybe a step below 
Trey Young, maybe on par with Mikel Bridges, maybe on par with, I'm trying to think of one of the other better shooters, maybe on par with uh, DiVincenzo, like that type of shooter, maybe even uh, you know a step ahead of those guys. So if you're going to mention the best shooters in the draft, I think when you get to name three or four, you're going to mention Herter. I think the biggest thing with Herter is what's he going to do on the defensive end? Is he going to be quick enough and astute enough to you know guard guys on the perimeter? Can he switch attack of the offense or is he just going to get turned over and his ankles broke? So I think that's the biggest question. He can shoot it. He seems pretty smart on the offensive end. He thinks seems pretty clever with the ball in small spaces. I, I, I think his large frame will la- allow him to switch into the post if he does get switched on a pick and roll. And I think his uh, game IQ and his athletic IQ will allow him to at least be serviceable on the defensive end. And that way that can keep him on the floor to really illuminate his you know, top shelf shooting that he's gonna he that he that he possesses. Uh, I think the question with Herder is he just went in for an injury and for further surgery. So is that going to limit him and is that going to knock him down a couple of notches or maybe even knock him into the second round? Our guess here is that he has some sort of first round promise and that because he's such an elite shooter, he'll be selected somewhere and people will just patch him up, wait for him to heal. And I think he makes sense for a team like the 76ers who really coveted J.J. Redick's shooting ability, but he was on a one-year contract, so maybe they bring in Herder on a much cheaper rookie contract and solve that problem that way with the offense that they like to run. So let's give the 76ers Kevin Herder from Maryland at number 26. At number 25, guess what? The Lakers are selecting at 25, and I feel like it might be Andrew Bynum all over again. Do you guys feel that way? I feel like that could be the situation. I feel like that Mitchell Robinson is going to go to the Lakers here. Mitchell Robinson is seven foot, seven foot one, seven four wingspan. Shalmet High School. Uh, he went to Western Kentucky. Didn't play a game. Left campus. Came back to campus. Still didn't play a game. Very Hamiltonian path, as we mentioned before on the podcast. He was a top twenty-ish, top ten-ish recruit, and then we never got to see him play. So as college basketball fans, I feel like we got robbed. We got robbed of seeing one of the coolest, most unique bigs not play a college game in a mid-major setting where he could have put up monster numbers. Think of the numbers he could have put up in Conference USA. Not only could he put up double-double, I mean, he would have put up numbers that are that are comparable with, with Aiton's numbers, you know, 2010, you know, Bagley's numbers, tw- you know, 22 and 11. He, he would have put up numbers that are comparable with any of those guys and maybe even surpassed it due to the level of competition in Conference USA. Listen, he owns some of the finest like measurables and numbers as far as you know profiles, measure, you know pro, athletic profiles go. Mo Bamba aside, he's over seven feet tall, seven foot four ish wingspan. He's he, he has a little bit of heft and you know carries some weight at two thirty. It seems like he you know in in videos he's shooting it a little bit better. But what is happening with him? Are people going to be thrown off? by the absolute, I I don't know, how about flightiness of his decision-making, or are they going to just look at him as like a different cat? Like, okay, college wasn't for this guy. Maybe the NBA is. Maybe he just has a different way of thinking about things. Maybe that comes out in the interview process. Look, we're going super positive here, right? We're trying to find the, the positive spin here. So we think he goes somewhere in the first round, and we think he goes number 25 to the Lakers. So Mitchell Robinson's Hamiltonian path ends 
at number 25 with the Lakers. Number 24, the Blazers, you know what they're going to do? They're going to take a shot. They're going to go with Anthony Simmons. That's what they're going to do. IMG Academy took like a gap year uh, IMG Academy and did not go to play at Louisville due to the part of the FBI fog and just decided to want he wanted to put his name into the draft. So he's one of the more intriguing players right along with Robinson because you don't know. You don't have like the turn on ESPN, turn on uh, uh, CBS Sports, turn on uh, NBC, and, and you can't watch him play. Cue in and be like, okay, let's let's tune let's tune in his game. Let's see let's see what his skill set is. We couldn't do that, so we had to rely on some tape and some scouting reports and so on and so on. But here's what we see: we see an athletic guy, combo guard, a little bit undersized, has a little shake to his dribble, can create space, has a nice pull up game, likes taking it to the hole. He's very like northeast. He just likes to, like bring it hard to the hole and draw contact. These guards do. That's what we do, right? That that that's our like first mode of offensive initiation. The question is, I think, maybe is his jumper sound, can he get it off in time? Because it seems like it's kind of slow like Lonzo's and maybe has a little hitch and maybe there's some mechanics to work out. So can he shoot it a little bit? I'm not sure. I don't know. Can he shoot it against like NBA length? Same question as we had with Musa, you know, from Bosnia. You know, can he shoot it when... Chris Middleton is following around? Can he shoot it when... I, I don't know. Like, J.R. Smith is following him around? Can he shoot it when uh, Bradley Beal is following him around and closing out on him or Otto Porter? Maybe. But who knows? We just don't know that yet. He really needs to depend on his interviews and his combine, uh, combine and, and individual workouts. So the question is, is he Markel Fultz? Is he Brandon Jennings? Like, who knows? I, I don't know who he's going to be. But he is quick. Maybe not John Wall or Dan or Darren Fox quick, but he's super quick. Can get to the hole. Blazers really like small school, not known guard situation. And they really develop these guards with Lil and McCollum, even Alan Crabb to a certain extent. And so I can see them taking Simmons, just letting him like learn from uh, Lil and McCollum and just being like, okay, yeah, this is how you do it. This is how you become great. Like follow these guys around. That makes sense to me. So let's give the Blazers uh, Simmons, IMG Academy, taking his gap year uh, no college experience. Up to 23 with the Pacers. You know what the Pacers are going to do? They're going to try to find a partner for Victor Oladipo in the backcourt, and they're going to try to partner DeAnthony Melton with him from USC. This totally fits the Pacer profile. Tough, hard-nosed guard. Maybe can't shoot it a ton. We don't know that yet because we haven't seen DeAnthony Melton play in a year, but we know that he can fill up a box score. All Melton did was like put up numbers across the board. He averaged uh, over eight points, over almost five boards, over three assists, a block, almost two steals in his uh, freshman year at USC. And he actually outplayed Fultz in the game that they played against uh, Washington during his freshman year, which was like kind of astounding, really impressive. The question with, with Melton, I think, is can he shoot it? If he can shoot it, He's a definite NBA player and a definite NBA starter. If he can't shoot it, he'll be a rotational player because he can do a, co- a couple of other things. He's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife, uh, very uh, very versatile, what his skill set is offensively and defensively. But if he can shoot it from three a little bit, man, he is going to be steel and be a perfect match for uh, Victor Oladipo. And both of those guys, effort. They play hard. So I can totally see that being a nice match for the Pacers and also a good fit with their all-star, Victor Oladipo. 
Let's move up to the Bulls at 22. Now, this is where maybe Mike and I might disagree. If you saw the big board at, at RandallRant.com, he has Kata Bates Diop ahead of Jacob Evans. But this is where I got Kata Bates Diop going. I think I can see him going to the Bulls. I think I can see the Bulls staying in the Big Ten, drafting the Big Ten Player of the Year. I really like Bates Diop and what he did this past year. He just showed just general improvement. He showed stick He showed that even though I got injured, I'm going to come back and get better. Put up giant numbers across the board. I mean, we can just take a look at his tournament game where he put up 24 and 12 against Mike Dom and and the Jackrabbits. Dom put up 27, so he's playing like an NBA, you know, forward in that situation. That makes perfect sense. And then you can take a look at at, at Kade Bates Diop, and this is the part that I really like about his game. When they played Gonzaga earlier in the year, he only scored seven points, and Gonzaga totally blew him out of the water. PK80. And then he comes back and he puts up a, a, a 28 on Gonzaga. The second time that they see them in the tournament, I got to I got to go up against Rui Hachimura. I got to go up against I got Tilly, you know, Tilly had injury issues. I got to go up against um you know, Larson. I, I got to go up against Jonathan Williams. Well, I mean, what am I doing? Like I got to step up my game here and he goes out and goes for 28. Really impressed with just how he improved his game and how he went about approving his game. Don't get me wrong. Are his measurables perfect? Athleticism, what NBA teams want? Uh, maybe he lacks a little bit there. He did shoot it okay from three, and he does have a very appealing wingspan that's over seven feet tall. So I can see an NBA team really liking what he brings. And just his level of improvement from year to year and the fact that he came back from injury. Uh, so let's give the Bulls at 22. Kate Bates Diop from the Ohio State. Jazz, you know, the Jazz always do something interesting, and they'll do something interesting again at 21. They're going to take Troy Brown from Oregon. Troy Brown was kind of ordinary, right? He didn't do very much. Oregon was kind of ordinary uh, after making their Final Four run. They really didn't pop. They couldn't find their mojo. Uh, they didn't really have great team camaraderie and, and, and cohesion with the transfers coming in. Peyton Pritchard being the the, the hold steady there, and then a couple of freshmen, Troy, uh, Troy Brown bring one of them. The, things just never really clicked. If we take a look at the stats, the stats aren't going to be there. Here's what the NBA scouts are going to say. They're going to say the measurables, 6'7". Decent strength, not out of this world strength, almost seven foot wingspan. He has a handle that is, you know, guard like in a six seven body. He does have a decent game IQ, and you can see him being like a grab and go guy, like grab the defensive rebound, and then that guy can run your break. Right? You don't have to kick it to the point guard. Like he's one of those guys. And then some of his assists during the year were really unique. I felt like there were some Lonzo Ball-ish from UCLA, like really cross-court pass assist type situations where he was really just creative. So I could see the Jazz embracing that creativity and his unique skill set and his ability to defend multiple positions like the two and the three, maybe even the four if he puts on a little weight. We'll see about that. Uh, You know, we've seen what borderline, you know, average NBA wings have gotten at contract. Crab got a big contract. Tim Hardaway Jr. got a big contract. Tyler Johnson from the Miami Heat got a big contract. Like, you're telling me Troy Brown can't do what they do? I think he kind of can. So I see the appeal, and I understand why the Jazz might want to take a a risk on him. Plus, the Jazz might lose one or two of their free agents from this past year, one of them being Dante Exum. So maybe he takes Exum's role off the bench as like a second ball handler. I can see that as well. Let's go to the Wolves at 20. The Wolves at 20, 
I think this is another part where, you know, Mike Randall and I uh, might not be in total agreement, but I think Jacob Evans from Cincinnati is the perfect fit for the Wolves at 20. He totally fits the team profile, Thibodeau-type guy. Defense first, no mistakes on offense, no turnovers, make your open shots, make the right pass, make the good decision. That's exactly what Jacob Evans did every single minute he was on the floor for Cincinnati. And I can see that the Wolves really valuing that and then taking Evans as like a a wing off the bench playing behind Wiggins and Jimmy Butler and then like pushing those guys in practice every single day. So I can totally see that. I think that's kind of a perfect fit for where the Wolves are uh, team profile-wise and what they're looking for in the draft. He can do a little bit of everything. He can shoot it from deep a tiny bit, 37% from three. He can handle the ball. He's going to defend you. He averaged over a steal and over a block a game. And you know Mick Cronin kids are going to be tough. Like, they're not going to back down at all. And and Jacob Evans is exactly that. Uh, so he's athletic. He's multi-skilled. Again, falls into the same premises like we talked about with Troy Brown. We see, we've seen the value of multi-skilled wings, and I think Evans is exactly that. He even ran some offense for them in Cincinnati. So I, I, I can see that he can you know defend multiple positions on the wing. He can guard one through three, maybe even one through four with his toughness, length, and strength. So And the cool thing about Evans, he doesn't need to score to influence the winning that happens on your team. He's super coachable and selfless. So I think that fits T-Wolves and what Coach Thibodeau was trying to do, you know, just, just team culture-wise. That makes sense to me. So even though Mike Randall will be annoyed that Evans is ahead of uh, uh, Bates Diop, that's where I got these guys slotted. Hawks, with their second pick in the first round, you know, we gave them a Musa with, like, that tra- uh, draft and stash player. How about Kevin Knox? I'm not as high on Kevin Knox as everybody else. I even saw, like, you know, on the scroll, ESPN earlier with my girls. We were trying to catch up on a little baseball before we went to bed. Baseball puts them to bed, uh, puts them to sleep, which is kind of cool. So basketball will keep them up. Baseball, they kind of roll over to the other side and like, just tell me who wins in the morning, daddy. So that's like the perfect elixir, especially on a hot summer uh, end of school night like we're rolling out tonight. If you know, if you know the parents out there know what I'm saying. I'm not as high on Kevin Knox. I saw Kevin Knox inside somebody's top 10. I think that's like way too high. Look, I, I here here's the, here's the devil's advocate argument with Knox. Is he going to be like every other Kentucky player that put up like ordinary stats during his college career and then just blew up like Boogie or blew up like John Wall, blew up like AD? That would make sense, right? If Knox just like, you know, put up ordinary numbers, his 15 points and his five boards in 32 minutes. And then he comes into the league and just averages 20. Okay, I get it. I, I, I can see that path because Kentucky players have taken that path before. I understand. I get it. Murray, yeah, sure. You know, the, ne- the next guy is going to be, um, you know, Monk. Monk's going to be the next guy that blows up. I, yeah, okay, I get it. I understand. But I just don't see it. I think he's not as athletic as you'd like him to be on the wing. And I think he's really fixed into that four position. And I don't know if he's going to have a whole bunch of diversity on the defensive end. I don't know. Can he shoot it? Yeah. Maybe if he shoots it well enough, he becomes like a polarizing player and you can't take him off the floor due to his uh, shot-making ability on the offensive end, whether it be from three or with his pull-up. I get that part. Okay. But I just don't think he shot it well enough during his college season at Kentucky. And he did have a high turnover rate. And he was even a negative assist to turnover person, which really is like a negative in my book. 
do I get the lottery buzz? Yeah, I get the lottery buzz with the, like the past success with other Kentucky guys who put up ordinary numbers in their college season. But I, yeah, I got Knox all the way down here at 19. And I think the Hawks might be happy to grab him at 19 if he falls there. So initially I had even Knox a little bit lower, but due to the, the, I don't know, the type of player that's found success in the NBA recently, wing that can shoot it from deep, I think I, I knocked him up a couple of a, a couple of uh, draft selections. So let's give the Hawks knocks at 19. Again, I have him way lower than a whole bunch of other people have him, but uh, it's our podcast, so that's where I'm going to put him. 18 with the Spurs, and then we'll uh, close up shop with the next couple of picks. You know, I like the Spurs taking it at 18. I love them taking Josh Okogie from Georgia Tech. I mean, we talked a little bit about how Melvin Frazier might be that next Kawhi Leonard type player because of his measurables, his hands, his athletic ability, uh, maybe his undervalued versatility on the offensive end that he showed at Tulane. But I think Okogie might fill in the exact same check marks if you're going for your defensive wing. Now, I know that they've taken uh, Deshaun Murray in the backcourt as like this defensive point guard. I get that part. But maybe a Kogi could be like counterpart to Murray. He has great measurables. He has an over seven foot wingspan. His numbers are kind of intriguing. 18 plus points, six plus rebounds, two and a half assists, a block, almost two steals a game, 38% from three. He can get to the free throw line like it will. He led the ACC in free throw attempts and makes this past season. So he will bring it on you hard. You know, we mentioned like the Northeast guard mentality. Like obviously Josh Kogi falls into that from Georgia Tech. Like he will bring it to the line, bring it to the hole hard and look for contact. And he shot at 84% from the line. So there's lots to like here as far as like your offensive profile on the first diverse uh, Akogi. But I think the biggest thing is that he will effort. He'll effort on the defensive end. He'll effort on the offensive end. Will he make mistakes? Does he have turnovers? Does he have like questionable shot selection? If your role on a Georgia Tech team is to offensively create for a limited offensive team, and guess what? You're going to have bad shots. You're going to have turnovers. You're, you're going to have, like, mispossessions. That makes sense. But what if he's in an NBA construct where he doesn't have to make those decisions? He can just make the right decision. And he can pass it to a five-year NBA vet who's going to make a better decision. He's going to skip pass it to a big on the wing that's going to make a three. That kind of makes sense. What if he does that with the Spurs? I think that sounds just about perfect. And plus... You know how the Spurs really value these longer athletes that have this like insane athletic profile. Kogi totally fits that. I totally get the Spurs taking uh, Josh Kogi from Georgia Tech at 18. Listen, we've been waiting for this pick pretty much the whole entire time, right? Who are the Bucks going to take? This is a gigantic selection for the Bucks. The Bucks were on the prefaces and took the Celtics to seven games in the first round. If one of those early games in the playoff series goes the other way, then maybe it's the Bucks playing the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe. It's not crazy to think that. They they played the Celtics as well as anybody played the Celtics, you know, minus the Cavs, playoff. And maybe it could be the Bucks matching up against the Cavs. And it's a whole different conversation we're having. Instead of LeBron having to carry the team, maybe, maybe it's LeBron... You know, passing the mantle to Giannis. This draft pick for the Bucks is huge. It's gigantic. 
What are they going to do? How are they going to get it right? They kind of blew last year's draft pick with D.J. Wilson from Michigan. I mean, I know he's still a work in progress, but he had very little impact on the season for Milwaukee this year. Did some G League time, played some NBA minutes, but really minimal impact because they put they, they played Thon Maker at that spot. They played uh, Henson at that spot. They played uh, you know Snell out on the wing. What are they going to do here? I think this is where you're going to find Dante DiVincenzo. Mike has been championing Dante DiVincenzo from Villanova pretty much the entire season, saying he's going to be Clay Thompson 2.0. If you think he's going to be Clay Thompson 2.0, Bucks take him. Every year, one of these like players just totally surprises, whether last year be like Kyle Kuzma that just rises up draft boards and comes out of nowhere. Guess what? This year, it's DiVincenzo, but he's not going to get picked in the late 20s. He's going to get picked in the teens, and the Bucks are going to take him. And his athleticness is exactly what they're looking for. Uh, he has a 42-inch vertical leap, the highest vertical leap at this year's combine. He played well at five-on-fives. We saw his historic national championship game performance, and he's versatile on every section. Now, the question is, DiVincenzo, did he do well in interviews? We're guessing that he did just fine with interviews because that's part of the Villanova education that you get. When you walk into the room with NBA executives, you know what you say? You say the right thing every single time. And I bet DiVincenzo did that even on the tough Twitter questions that he might have gotten. Uh, I I don't know, like questionable press release of his quote-unquote alleged like Twitter uh, account right after the championship game. I bet he answered that perfectly, and that's why he's even shot up boards even further for NBA execs. So I'm going to give the Bucks at 18, Dante DiVincenzo. And then let's finish up with a couple more. We'll go uh, we'll go the Suns with their second pick at 16. One of our favorite players, Chandler Hutchinson. Hutchinson from Boise State is going to go to the Suns at 16 with their second pick. And after the Suns take DeAndre Ayton, the big man, they're going to go wing and they're going to want a reliable wing that can shoot it and do a whole bunch of things uh, on both ends, defensively and offensively, and Hutchinson fits that bill. We know Hutchinson has got a first-round promise. We think it might be to a team a little bit later in the first round, but we think that the Suns really value him and got to see him a couple of times uh, out in the Midwest. Hutchinson had an All-America-type season. He averaged 20 points, almost eight boards, three-and-a-half assists. He improved his shooting numbers across the board. I uh, shot a decent amount, uh, a decent percentage, 36% from three. He even had a triple-double, uh, which is like kind of impossible during the college uh, season because just because of minutes played. He's improved every year. One of the other things to pay attention with Hutchinson is that he worked with the same coach that worked with Damian Lillard in college to work on at Phil Beckner. Uh, with his uh, shooting, his dribbling. So he's kind of like the the, you know, the small school, very talented, potential first-round guru. And I think that that's going to pay some dividends for him as well. Uh, So let's give the Suns a wing to complement Aiton with pick number one and give them Hutchinson from Boise State. And we'll finish up with uh, pick 15 with the Wizards. And you know what? This is where we're going to get into that first group of uh, players that you're kind of familiar with. And this is where Lonnie Walker goes. Lonnie Walker's going to go to the Wizards. The Wizards uh, would love somebody to step in right away in case Wall or Beal gets hurt and they don't lose a beat. 
and Walker is the guy to fill either one of those positions and maybe even play alongside both of those all-star guards and have Walker, Beal, Wall, and maybe Porter and run some small ball like warrior type lineups and Walker not expected to do too much, just make a couple open shots and take care of the ball. Now, I'm not as high. I'm, I'm, I feel very similar about Walker as I do with Knox. I'm not as, as high on Walker as other people, but you got to put him somewhere here in the teens. So I'm going to plug him in here at 15. And I think with the Wizards, I think that makes perfect sense due to the fact that they want some backup for those two talented guards that they rely so heavily on and have invested so much money in uh, uh, financially. Uh, they don't want to be left out to dry. And Walker is a cheap solution, even if he's drafted at number 15 in the first round. Walker is interesting because... I don't think we got to see the true Lonnie Walker this past year at Miami uh, due to Brown's injury and the FBI fog that followed the program. I think that he was put into a role that maybe he wasn't totally uh, comfortable with. He took over some of Brown's responsibilities on the defensive end and also ball handling wise. Uh, Yes, did Chris Likes help him out in that respect? Yes, he did. But I don't think Walker actually played his true position. And maybe we missed out on seeing like the true talent that is Lonnie Walker. Maybe that popped out during workouts and at the combine. And maybe that's where Lonnie Walker finds himself at pick 15 with the Wizards. So, guys, we're going we're gonna to pull the plug there. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have listened in for like almost 45 minutes here. Give you the rest of the first round uh, later on this week. And maybe if we can get our acts together, maybe even give you a second round. But there's your rundown. Uh, we went from pick 30 to pick 15. I, I don't know if you're going to get much more of a breakdown on a less than an hour podcast than that. Uh, Mike and I will hit you back up later on this week, and we love talking college hoops and especially NBA draft with you guys. And again, you know, please don't forget to hit up all the places that we asked you to visit uh, and just help the podcast grow. Help, you know, give us some good vibes our way. That's what we're looking for. Uh, we just want some positive feedback, whatever your mode of communication is. You want to communicate via Twitter, please hit us up at SES Podcast on Twitter. We'd love to get a follow from you and love to interact with you that way. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course. Don't forget to give Mike a follow on Twitter at Randall Rant. Insightful, entertaining, and educational on all three fronts. Don't forget to hit up the YouTube channel, Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast. Just type that in. Some of our profiles will come up. You guys will love what you see. We've really put together some cool stuff. And then, of course, if you really, really like what you're listening to the offseason, please, whatever your venue that you consume podcasts in, whether it be uh, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, leave us a nice review there. Maybe hit up some stars, punching some stars on that review. Love to communicate with you guys that way if that's your mode of communication. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, hit us up on Gmail at sdspodcast at gmail.com. If that's your, if you'd like to tell us like, hey, what's your opinion on this guy for the NBA draft? Oh, why don't you guys talk about this during the offseason? We'd love to hear from you that way as well. So listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we just want to say, uh, of course, hope everybody enjoyed their Father's Day out there. And... Uh, We'll catch up with you guys later on this week. And uh, happy summer solstice if we don't talk to you before then. Uh, Please enjoy the longest day of the year and, and spend some time outside. That sounds great, doesn't it, everybody? Cheers. Salancha. Grazie. Arigato. Arigato.